Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Kareen, and we are two Onk Talks. And today's episode is focusing on everything you need to know regarding bladder cancer. This will include the need to know pathology, presentation, diagnostic workup, staging, treatment, and rare other urothelial cancer presentations. Awesome. I think this is extremely high yield. I know I at least had eight to 10 questions, it felt like, on every ITE during fellowship. Um, And I definitely know I had more than a handful of bladder cancer questions on my boards in the fall. So, Kareen, tell us what are the most common types of bladder cancer? So the most common type of bladder cancer is urothelial cancer, also known as transitional cell carcinoma. And the risk factors for that are tobacco and occupational exposures. So these are workers in dye manufacturing and rubber aluminum. Awesome. If anyone gets a question with someone who worked in dye manufacturing or rubber aluminum factories, you should automatically know what the diagnosis is. Um, So what are the least common types of bladder cancer? So there's a few. So there's squamous cell carcinoma, and the risk factors for that are going to be schistosoma, chronic UTIs, and chronic Foley use. Uh, the treatment for that is a bit dif- is a bit different than urothelial carcinoma, so it might be cystectomy or radiation with chemo. The basic principle to remember for non-urothelial bladder cancers is that you always do a cystectomy for localized disease. Um, and then there's adenocarcinoma of the bladder. There is not really a proven chemo role for localized disease, and these can be of uracal origin. And if you remember from your embryology. The urachus is a canal that is in the fetus and drains the urinary bladder. And then in the metastatic setting for bladder adenocarcinoma, you're often going to use a regimen similar to colon adenocarcinoma, such as Fulfox, which includes 5-FU and oxaloplatin. Uh, Even rarer, there's plasma cytoid bladder cancer, which in a vignette, they can describe as having a vague infiltrative process on imaging, and it will often have peritoneal mets and be associated with a CDH1 mutation. And then lastly, there's small cell bladder cancer. And for those, you're going to treat like small cell lung cancer. So anytime you see high-grade neuroendocrine or small cell, no matter what the primary type is, you're really going to treat it like small cell lung, which will have a base of cisplatin and etoposide. And for this, it'll be either in the new adjuvant or metastatic setting. Yeah, we definitely had that question on our boards this year. Um, And the answer is always cisplatin plus etoposide. Great. So what is the workup for bladder cancer? So patients will often present with hematuria, dysuria, or they can have, you know, pelvic pain. And the initial thing that will be done is the cytology and then the patient will be referred to urology where they'll have a cystoscopy with a biopsy. And once you have confirmation of cancer, you're going to have the urologist do a, a TORBT, which is transurethral resection of the bladder tumor. And basically this scrapes away all the visible cancer. And this is done under spinal or general anesthesia. And the point of this is to determine if the cancer is muscle invasive or not, because the treatment is very different for both. If there is no muscle, you're going to repeat the TURBT. And this is definitely something that came up on multiple of the board review banks that I did. Yeah. Um, so I, remember that. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's always the, the answer is they give you the biopsy. There's no muscle. Um, so you definitely have to repeat the TURBT. I was asked that multiple times by attendings during my training, and I definitely saw questions. So what is the goal for non-muscle invasive bladder cancer? So the goal for non-muscle invasive is to prevent recurrence and progression to muscle invasive cancer. Great. 
And what are the stages that qualify someone to have non-muscle invasive bladder cancer? So there's TA, which is non-invasive papillary with a low potential to invade. And for those, you give a single dose of intravesicular chemo, either gemcitabine or mitomycin C, within 24 hours of the TURBT. There's TIS, IS standing for in situ, which has a, a higher um, chance to invade. And then there's T1, which will invade the subepithelial connective tissue, including the lamina propria or the muscularis mucosa. And it's important to differentiate muscularis mucosa from muscularis propria, which is muscle invasive. So muscularis mucosa is non-muscle invasive. And for the high-risk non-muscle invasive, if they are more than three centimeters or if they're in situ or if they're T1, you're going to give six weekly doses of BCG within four weeks of the TURBT. If you go into remission, then you go to maintenance BCG for up to three years. If you do not achieve a complete remission, you are going to consider an alternative intravesicular agent such as chemo. Uh, one of the types that they can give is valrubicin or intravenous pembrolizumab based on Keynote 57. And there are some trials undergoing for intravesicular immunotherapy. Terrific. So I'm glad you brought up that muscularis mucosa is not muscle invasive, um, but muscularis propria is. The way I remember that, and this is just a little silly mnemonic, is that the muscularis propria, I remember it as muscle proper. So that is properly muscle invasive. Um, so you don't mix yourself up. So what are the goals of treatment for muscle invasive bladder cancer? So for muscle invasive, you want to maximize the chance of cure. Great. And what are our stages that qualify a patient having muscle invasive? So there's T2, which invades the muscularis propria, T3, which invades the perivesicular tissue, T4, which invades adjacent structures. And for all of these, you're going to consider neoadjuvant chemotherapy because there is an overall survival benefit. And those regimens are either gemcitabine cisplatin or MVAC. For gemcitabine cisplatin, you need to make sure the patient is eligible for cisplatin, meaning they have a decent performance status, they have good renal function, no significant neuropathy or hearing loss, or significant heart failure. And then for MVEC, um, that is methotrexate with vimblastine, doxorubicin, and cisplatin, and those are given every two weeks for a total of four doses um, with GSF support, um, but you have to be aware of the anthracycline cardiotoxicity. And if you don't receive neoadjuvant chemotherapy, you should consider adjuvant chemotherapy. However, neoadjuvant is the standard of care. Awesome. I'm glad you brought up the cisplatin eligibility criteria because I feel that is definitely testable. Um, they will give you some labs, they'll give you an ECOG, and then they'll give you both gemcitabine plus cisplatin or MVAC as answers. And the one that I remember for the cisplatin eligibility is having a creatinine clearance greater than 50. Um, I think that that was one that you definitely need to know that cutoff between those two. So right. what is the definitive treatment for bladder cancer? So assuming that you were cisplatin eligible and you received neoadjuvant chemo, which is the standard of care, then you can either go to bladder removal in the form of cystectomy or bladder preservation in the form of chemoradiation, also known as trimodal therapy or TMT. And in order to be a candidate for bladder preservation or chemo RADS, you have to have 
less than T4 disease, no hydronephrosis, and tumors less than five centimeter, as well as good bladder function because the side effects of radiation are bladder and bowel dysfunction. The other point with bladder preservation is that because you keep the bladder, you still have to undergo surveillance for for life uh, in the form of cystoscopies. And then in terms of cystectomy, there's generally two options. You can have a neobladder, which is made out of um, parts of the bowel. Um, So you get an ileal conduit from the ileum, part of the small bowel, or you can go for um, urostomy. So you'll have a pouch that will drain urine that you have to essentially empty every time. Great. So we talked a lot about local therapy for bladder cancer, but what are the treatment options for metastatic bladder cancer? So for metastatic bladder cancer, the first line treatment is actually the same regimens as for neoadjuvants. So you're going to have gemcitabine, cisplatin, but there is also a metastatic disease, the option of gemcitabine carboplatin if you're not eligible for cisplatin. Or you can also get MVEC. Um, If you are not cisplatin eligible um, and not really a good chemo candidate for gemcitabine carboplatin, you can consider single agent immunotherapy in the form of pembrolizumab or atezolizumab. And then if you end up going the chemo route and you end up with stable disease or a response, you can qualify for adjuvant avelumab within four to 10 weeks of the completion of the chemotherapy. And this is based on the Javelin 100 trial, which showed an overall survival benefit. In the second line setting for metastatic bladder cancer, if you've received chemo in the first line setting without immunotherapy, you can get pembrolizumab. And then in the third line setting, um, and sorry, just with regards to pembrolizumab, I remember this was a question on our boards. Um, so it was a patient that had gotten chemo in the first line setting. And then the answer was that in the second line setting, they should get pembrolizumab. And then in the third line setting, and these are newer agents and, and they weren't, I don't remember these showing up on our actual boards. However, they are definitely showing up a lot, both in real practice, as well as on board review QBanks. And these are Infortimab or Erdafitinib. So these both need baseline eye exams because they have ocular toxicity. Infortimab also has a risk of DKA as well as a high risk of neuropathy. And then Erdafitinib, you'll only qualify for this if you have an FGFR mutation. And this also has some unique side effects that they very much like to ask on board of you questions. And I'm sure it will show up on the boards at some point um, and can cause high phosphorus. Um, So sometimes patients need to be on phosphate binders. It can cause hyponatremia. And the ocular toxicity that it can cause is retinal pigment epithelium detachment. And then in the fourth line setting, we have an agent that was approved also recently called sasituzumab govitecan, and this is a trope-2-directed antibody and topoisomerase inhibitor drug conjugate. And this was previously approved in breast cancer, but now it's showing some benefit in bladder cancer as well in the fourth-line setting. Awesome. So outside of the bladder, what are some subtypes of urothelial carcinoma, and how are they treated? So if you have cancer of the urethra and it's in situ, um, and I feel like this was a question on our boards, you can consider 
surgery because you're not really going to have good penetration with um, intravesicular treatments, and that will be a distal urethrectomy. And then for upper tract urothelial carcinoma, which is cancer of the renal, pelvis, and ureter, you'll often see those associated with Lynch syndrome, which is also known as hereditary non-polyposis colon cancer syndrome. And for those upper tract bladder cancers, you're going to do surgery up front. There's not a clear neoadjuvant role. And then based on the PAUT study, you're going to consider adjuvant chemotherapy, either with gemcitabine, cisplatin, or carboplatin. So those are some of the take-home points. I think it's really important to remember um, that there's different types of bladder cancer and they're not all treated equally. If it's non-urothelial, you're generally going to do cystectomy for localized disease. Um, and then if you initially diagnose and there's no muscle in the specimen, make sure you repeat the TURBT. And then remember the differentiation between non-muscle invasive and muscle invasive, and then the, the general treatment options for metastatic urothelial cancer. Awesome. Thank you so much. I think that was a terrific review. Definitely hit all the high points for bladder cancer for boards and, you know, recertification exams. Also for every oncology ITE, every single year in fellowship, these are very high yield. And I, I do think that you hit all the high points. So thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. We will be back next week with another episode covering another topic on your hematology and oncology um, board certification exam. So have a good week.